How long is it going to take you to get him what he needs? I don't know. I have no idea. Several hours at least. I can wait. Gives us time to talk about the state of this lab. Don't you have standards? I mean, this place is disgusting. All right, we're going to scour every vat, every tank, every cook surface. And then we're going to clean up every possible source of contamination. And only then we cook. The the reason for that clip may or may not become clear throughout the discussion of this paper, um, at least in my opinion of this paper. Um, we're going to be talking today about, uh, I don't even know, I don't know where this paper came from necessarily. I know that sounds horrible. Um, we're talking about finger pulp here. When, when I first heard about this paper, this was like a new idea and the internet forums were flooded with people blaming their fingertip pulp, training their fingertip pulp, um, both of which I thought were dubious responses. Um, we'll get to that later though. Did you see this paper when it first came out or did you hear about it? I had heard about it. And when we were gathering papers for the season, to be completely honest, this is the first time I've ever read the paper. Got it. Yeah. And the title of this paper is Measuring Lifting Forces in Rock Climbing, the Effect of Hold Size and Fingertip Structure. Authors were Roger Bourne et al. Um, the purpose of the paper I've got it here straight from the paper. The current study investigates the hypothesis that fingertip pulp dimensions, rather than maximum lifting force, strength, or body mass normalized lifting, strength to mass ratio, is a significant determinant of a climber's ability to generate force on very small edge holds. So I think this one kind of pairs well with what we did last week. Um. <clears throat> And I think it's interesting that the, the original hypothesis from the authors was that fleshier fingers, big fat fingers, so to speak, would deform and roll off of edges while bonier fingers would add stability. Um, mm -hmm. And I think that might have been everybody's hypothesis back then. You agree? Yeah, I think so. I thought it was interesting where they talked about fleshy fingertip as might be typical of a heavy climber and then a small bony finger, which might be typical of a, of a small light climber. I thought that was a pretty wide generalization to make there. Yeah, I kind of do too, especially after looking at a bunch of other papers who say that fingertip shape and structure really had nothing to do with weight. Uh, I definitely thought they overreached a little when they said heavier climbers, lighter climbers have these types of fingers, but yeah. you know, this was a while ago and we're all, we're all learning. I think this was actually earlier than last week's <clears throat> paper, which we, you know, we're talking about how that was one of the first ones we saw kind of going around. So this has been, this is an older one for sure. Yeah, totally. Uh, let's jump into this thing. You clearly don't know who you're talking to, so let me clue you in. I'm Paul Corsaro. I'm Chris Hampton. Lucky two guys are just guys, okay? And you're listening to Breaking Beta. 
where we explore and explain the science of climbing. With our skills, you'll earn more than you ever would on your own. We've got work to do. Are you ready? 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 ready. I'm ready. Are you? I was born ready, Paul. I, <laughs> <laughs> I, I love talking on a microphone. Uh, I think that's essentially what it comes down to. Your uh, let's, uh, in looking at this paper, let's start with the methods. In a scenario like this, I don't suppose it is bad form to just flip a coin. Flip a coin. That's, that's what climbing is a lot of the time. So why not? Um, methods for this paper. First off, there were 15 experienced climbers, 11 male, 4 female. So not a bad ratio. Um, with a recent mean project grade of Australian 2627, which is 12CD or 7C in French grades. So pretty strong climbers. Um, not the same level of climber as in the Ava Lopez study we looked at last week, but still relatively elite climbers. One thing I did want to make a note about this group of subjects, it seems like the range of ability level was way mm. larger than the other one. And we mm -hmm. had, if I did this right, yeah, we had climbers who climbed 11A all the way up to climbers who climbed 14A. So I think right. that might be sort of important as we move forward into this one. Totally. I think, I think that's an important thing to look at in all of the studies that we're going to look at. Just because the mean says one thing, that doesn't mean that's true for every climber in the study. So we did have some experienced climbers here, but also some climbers who weren't climbing at nearly the same level. Yeah. And so for the test, so what they basically did, it looked like was they both looked at structural components of the finger using ultrasound, I believe. Mm -hmm. And then they also did just a pretty much simply put a pulling test. They built an apparatus uh, where you were pulling on a sandstone edge. Uh, you were standing basically on a scale, a force plate, it looks like. Mm -hmm. And just they found the force you generated pulling was however much body weight you could reduce on the scale. If I interpreted that correctly. Did you get any other takeaways from that? Uh, no, I, that's exactly how I think the tests went. Um, the edge size, they were able to adjust. So they had four edge sizes that they were using 7.3 millimeter, 5.8 millimeter, 4.3 and 2.8 millimeter. Two thirty-five M and M tube furnaces. It's MM millimeter. And they also measured before and after doing this like cycle of different edge sizes on a 12.5 millimeter edge. And that was as a baseline for strength. Um, I think there were a couple interesting and smart things about this study. Number one, uh, the sandstone edge was from a nearby quarry uh, around Sydney, I believe. So it's really similar to the sandstone that these climbers were already accustomed to climbing on so they would know how to use that particular friction uh, to their benefit mm -hmm. yeah, which they're familiar with that yeah and that, that you know for me that's a, a real world application um, you know I see people who climb on slippery granite or limestone come to a sandstone area and not know how to use the friction very well so they're they're not able to get the most out of it 
I appreciate that they, you know, had that little detail in here. Mm-hmm. I also thought something they did was smart, which where they added wood blocks to where the person was standing so that everyone's hand was at the exact same level. I think they standardized where the wrist crease was for everybody. Mm-hmm. Yep. So that made things nice and repeatable and consistent all the way throughout. Yeah, absolutely. We've we've all experienced like getting onto a boulder where it's either really low for us and it makes it hard to pull on or um, really high for us and it makes it hard to pull on. So standardizing that where the edge was in relation to your size was really smart. I did notice something. I wonder if you noticed it as well. Did you notice anything else that I thought that was kind of odd about how they pulled on the hold, how they had people set up for it? Um, I didn't notice anything necessarily super odd. I do have a note that it looks like the edge was pretty sharp. Mm -hmm. Um, That was a little concerning. And they also... I, th- I believe it was this study that they did not restrict whether they used a cr- closed crimp or not. That's what I kind of highlighted because – yeah. And it says right below it that no subject used the thumb as an additional finger on the hold. So I don't know if that means no one closed crimped or whether like – you know, sometimes you'll take a crimp and you'll put your thumb on the edge too. Mm-hmm. But I think if people did close the, close the thumb over the top of the index finger, that could be a pretty – significant change in force generation if they didn't control for that, if some people did that and some people didn't. Yeah, I agree. And, you know, part of me is like, well, some people favor one grip over the other. So allowing them to pull as hard as they can, um, however they feel best is smart. But then the other part of me is like, well, maybe we should have controlled to see, you know, and make sure that people aren't getting some benefit out of that grip. I mean, um, you so. would you would <laughs> skew results if you had to pull with your pinky on, so it kind of makes sense. <laughs> totally. <laughs> I would. I, in fact, if I had to use my pinky and a full cramp, I might as well be a, you know, V0 510 climber. Negative outlier. I wouldn't even fit in this study. Um, one other thing about the, the testing apparatus I thought was smart is that they had a panel Um, sort of right behind the block that they were pulling on so that they couldn't get their weight really far under the the weight Mm -hmm. and make it feel better to them. I think that's super smart. Um, Last year, a couple of years ago, I was in Canada. I interviewed Eve Gravel for the podcast, for the Power Company podcast, and he was showing me how he had flipped over the Beastmaker micro edges and could hang on the slopey side of the edges. And I I stood under them and tried to imagine what that might feel like. And I instinctively walked further under the board to make them actually feel like a hold mm-hmm. because, because they did not feel like a grip that could be pulled on when I was standing directly beneath it. So super smart adjustment in this case. <clears throat> Um, the other thing just to note is that when they use the ultrasounds, they measured both palmer pulp and tip pulp. And I'll just describe those briefly because we'll, we may be mentioning that later mm-hmm. on in this episode. The tip pulp of your finger is the distance from, you know, if you take your finger, you've got a bone that extends into the tip of your finger. The distance from that bone to the tip So kind of just below your nail 
that is the tip pulp and the distance straight down to where you would be grabbing a crimp where a crimp might hit you or an edge might hit you is the palmer pulp. So both directions um, straight out and straight down from that fingertip bone is what those two different types of pulp are. I think uh, another thing with the ultrasound is they also, they took two climbers and did both the right and left arm. I think they did the dominant arm for most people, if I'm not mistaken, I could be wrong there, but uh, yeah, dominant hand. But uh, for the, uh, for two people, they looked at the do- non-dominant hand too, to just make sure there weren't any significant left, right differences in the pole. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought two out of, what was it? 14 people, 12 15. people, two out of 15. I mean, Maybe they could have done more there. Yeah, I don't think that tells us much. You yeah. know, they they do make that statement a couple of times. Um, but for me, that that ends up just being meaningless yeah. if they're only testing a couple of people. Yeah. I don't have a degree in statistics, so maybe I'm wrong. But that seems like a small <laughs> percentage of... If you're going to do one, I think they could have done both just to really make that claim. Yeah. I, I totally agree. Uh, anything else on the methods? Um, no, I liked that they randomized the edge order just to kind of make mm-hmm. sure, just to control for things. That was cool. Um, yeah, that's really all I noticed. You kind of covered it, and then I made the comment about the thumb use. But other than that, yeah, pretty well set yep. up, I think. All right. Uh, let's take a break, and then we'll come back and talk about what the paper saw in the results. Please. All right, I really need a break here, okay? You're listening to this super nerdy podcast, so I can only assume that you're interested in improving your climbing. Well, good news, you're in luck. Yes, science! We have training options for nearly every level climber in nearly every situation, from general prep to fully custom, from eBooks to weekly plans delivered via mobile app. Visit powercompanyclimbing.com slash breaking beta for more info. And while you're there, check out kettlebells for climbers too now available as either an ebook or a proven plan. The follow-up to our wildly popular Kettlebells for Climbers plan that started so many climbers down the path to being stronger, better prepared, and more athletic. So I'll go back to work, for Christ's sake, okay? Okay, we are back from our break and looking over our papers here. You ready to jump into the results and our sort of verdict on the paper? I'm ready. You? <laughs> Ready. We're not here to sit in judgment. Why not? The thing is, if you just do stuff and nothing happens, what's it all mean? Whatever you, whatever you think's supposed to happen, I'm telling you, the exact reverse opposite of that is going to happen. I know it says we're not supposed to sit in judgment, but I'm going to be kind of sitting in judgment a lot of the time through this next 15 or 20 minutes. I cannot wait. <laughs> just just warning you. Um, first, first thing from this, uh, they mention, you know, you mentioned earlier about the body weight um, comments in the paper. And they find that body weight is correlated with the Palmer pulp but not the tip pulp of the fingers. Mm-hmm. I actually went and looked at a bunch of other studies um, that look at uh, pulp in the fingers. And most of the studies, the, the vast majority of the studies that I saw, 
couldn't find a correlation with body weight and pulp in the fingers at all. Um, maybe those studies weren't differentiating between tip pulp and palmer pulp, but pretty much every study says it's all over the place when we're looking at fingertip shape, structure, and volume of pulp has no bearing on age or body weight really. So I think that for me, that just doesn't even factor in. And I think if you look at the R scores for that correlation, again, disclaimer, I don't have a degree in statistics, but a rudimentary understanding, an R score of like 0.54-ish, I think is where they said body weight was correlated with Palmer pulp. Yeah, that's a correlation, but it's not a huge correlation. You know, it's still pretty close to that medium. So it's there, but there's probably going to be some variation from person to person there, I would imagine. Mm -hmm. We flipped a coin, okay? Yeah. The one thing I thought was interesting that came from this is that they only found correlation with the 12 and a half millimeter edge. So the edge they use kind of for, you know, getting a baseline strength level. The only two edges that they found a correlation with that edge or the force on that edge was the 7.3 and the 5.8. And those edges also correlated with max climbing grade. So for me, basically, those were the two important edges of the study. It's not the edge most people focus on when they read this study. But for me, those were the two that were important. I think so, too. And I think you're going to find more, you know, if we talk about real real world application, I think we're going to find more small edges in that zone than the 4.3 to 2.8. Exactly. Those are heinously small edges. Yeah. It's a good thing we aren't often pulling on 2.8 millimeter edges while climbing. I'd probably quit Um, climbing. I mean, interesting, (laughs) interesting note here in the Ava Lopez study that we looked at last week during their training, the smallest edge that was used by those climbers. And remember they were experienced climbers at 8A or 13B and above the smallest edge used during training was five millimeters. So it's not really surprising to me that the 5.8 was the smallest edge here that correlated with max climbing grade. Um, So I think that's that's a good, good takeaway. Um, They say in this, and this is the place where most people really latch on to these results is that climbers with larger bone-to-tip pulp generated higher forces on the 2.8 millimeter edge. So if you have more pulp in your finger, which is the opposite of what they thought they would find. They thought it was the Palmer pulp, correct? Well, they thought that it was going to be a bonier finger was going to be able to pull harder on these tiny, tiny edges, 2.8 millimeter. But what they found is if they had more pulp, they could generate higher forces on that tiny edge. That's right. Um, and that's where most people latch onto this thing. And, you know, why we saw so many people in forums being like, am I just genetically cursed? I can never pull on small edges. I don't have much pulp. Even though you can't look at your fingers or feel your fingers and measure the pulp, you have to do it via ultrasound. Lots of climbers were immediately blaming their their 
lack of ability on small edges on their fingertip pulp. And lots of climbers were talking about, I need to train my finger pulp. I need more finger pulp. I need to be able to pull on tinier edges. So I, not a fan. I mean, we both looked around too. Like, is there really any evidence and someone please shoot us the resources if they're there. Um, is there evidence that we can change our finger pulp too? Yeah, I would, I would like to know this. I, I looked pretty extensively, actually gave myself a massive headache searching for this. And I found um, Mark Anderson made some reference to a paper he saw at a, uh, a summit that he went to or someone referenced a paper. He didn't see the paper, um, but he said someone referenced it in a presentation that said hanging on tiny edges increases your finger pulp. Um, there are lots of instances online of people making that claim. Um, Eric Hurst also mentions it in an article. I couldn't find a single piece of literature that spoke to that. It may be out there. Um, please let us know if it is. I talked to Volker Schaffel, the German doctor, um, who's done lots of research into fingers, finger injuries. He told me the only paper he knows of that speaks to whether finger pulp can increase or not was a study done on primates, not on humans. Um, so certainly they were not having primates hang on tiny edges to see if it increased their finger pulp. Um, but if it's out there, I would love to know. I thought something that was interesting when they were looking at uh, just the super small edges, they talked about looking at pulp, but something they found that was kind of interesting and it seemed like it was kind of unexpected was that their subject's height was also strongly correlated with the force produced on the uh, smallest, the 2.8 millimeter edge. Yeah, height and reach both. And those are, I think if you look at all the statistical measures, those are the highest correlations in the whole study. Yeah, and that, strongest. I'm sorry, strongest. When I when I read that, I immediately wondered if hair color also correlated <laughs> to the edge size. Yes, science. So I don't I don't know what that means. You know, they they do note in the paper that they would have expected that also to correlate at other edge sizes, um, but it did not. Yeah, only so. on the 2.8 millimeter edge. Yeah. So that's just an interesting thing. I don't really know where to go with that, but that is, it's interesting. Makes you ponder. Yeah. And climbers have said for a long time, um, you know, since way before this study that pulling hard on big edges doesn't necessarily transfer to pulling hard on small edges. And this does support that. So I think that's a, that's a, a big win when, you know, something we've been saying for a long time gets supported. Oh yeah. Uh, anything else you found? Anything surprising in the results or this paper that you saw? Not especially. The most surprising mm. thing to me was just the correlation of the reach with the small edge. Um, mm -hmm. I was a little surprised that they chose 12 and a half millimeters as the strength testing edge. Yes. Okay. Um, I do have a note of that in my questions at the end of the study. Yeah. Yeah. Particularly with having climbers you know, who are climbing at like the 5.11 level. We, we've recently started testing on, 
And by recently, I mean in the last year or so um, on a 10 millimeter as well. And we get a fair amount of people who can't hang on the 10 millimeter edge at all who are who are climbing at that level and even a little higher. Um, so that seems like a pretty small mm-hmm. strength testing edge. I'm not sure it actually is showing strength. Right. And, you know, they could definitely generate force because mm-hmm. they're standing and not hanging. But I did have that highlighted is that for kind of the same reason you did. Like that's 12 and a half millimeters is a pretty small edge. Hmm. Yeah, I don't think it's a bad study. You know, mm-hmm. I'm not going to say it's a bad study. I just think that maybe it doesn't really matter. You know, mm-hmm. unless we can change our pulp dimensions, uh, and that still remains unclear. If we can change our pulp dimensions, though, the advice is seems to still be the same pull on Mm -hmm. tiny edges, which is really convenient. You know, you do the thing, you adapt to the thing, you get better at the thing. Great. Yep. I think, you know, as coaches, we look at a lot of these studies as just useful things to help us make decisions. And I think I read this study, maybe we have a better idea of some of the basic science behind how we move or how we use an edge but it really doesn't help me make any coaching decision on what I'm going to have someone do. So I yeah. think the setup's fairly good. I think it's, you know, a good controlled study and I think they're getting meaningful results out of what they were looking for or what they found, but it doesn't help me make programming or coaching decisions a whole lot. Yep. I so. agree. Um, let's, even though we both may not have a whole lot, let's sort of jump into the application and, Um, see if there is anything maybe we can take away from this to help us improve as climbers. I got all these little pieces. They're all part of the story, right? But they don't mean much on their own. But when you start telling me what you know, we start filling in the gaps. I'll have them and lock them before the sun goes down. All right. um, One thing I am taking away from this, and this is something I was already doing, it really just... Um, strengthens my resolve in this area Um, because there are tons of people talking about finger pulp farming essentially uh, on the internet. Like I said before, the advice is to hang on small edges to increase that pulp. So particularly just prior to climbing outside, if that's something specific to the climbing you're doing, you should absolutely be hanging on those small edges pain tolerance, getting used to the edge size. And if it is helping you gain finger pulp, great. You'll be better at hanging on those 2.8 millimeter edges. Yep. I think also if you're climbing on, you know, maybe super thin climbing or, you know, slabs or something where you're using that, you know, 2.8 to 4.3 millimeter edges, uh, invest in one of those, uh, you know, medieval stretching tables and get a little tall. (laughs) I think that'll, that'll help too. (laughs) Yeah. Stretch your arms out. Yeah. Totally. Um, Here's something interesting and maybe this isn't exactly application, um, but I, in my looking for finger pulp studies to see if we could increase our pulp, I came across a study where they were tapping the tips of their fingers on a plate and measuring the elasticity of the pulp 
And what they found is that as you tap faster, the pulp stiffens as a response to that tapping. So I would be curious if loading really slow keeps the pulp elastic. And if we were to look at a study where people were going fast, like dead pointing to a small edge, would you get the same results or does the pulp stiffen the same as in this other study? Um, Interesting. Yeah. In, that would in be which case cool. that would say, oh, you've got stiff pulp. You can't hang on the small edge anymore. So going slower and controlling the, the movement might be better for grabbing small edges. Imagine that. <laughs> right. <clears throat> We've come back around. <laughs> Yeah. But yeah, that is interesting. Yeah, I'll have to after we're done with this, you should shoot me that paper. I want to read that. Yeah, I'll I'll see if I can pull it up again. Um and I'll have it, you know, cited on the blog post for yeah. this episode. But just just interesting and me totally hypothesizing and wildly extrapolating as to what it might mean. Mm-hmm. Um <clears throat> there there was something Um, In this paper, and this is one of the places where I think science and the controlled nature of these studies can be maybe counterproductive isn't the right word, but it maybe doesn't reflect reality um, all the time. They mention that or they suggest that the normal adaptive toughening of fingertip skin might be counterproductive to grabbing small edges. And I think that's only the case if you have to grab the edge one time Mm -hmm. um, or a couple of times. But if you're grabbing it repeatedly, trying to do a move, if you're slipping off of it repeatedly, trying to do a move, if you're having to go to it fast and then adjust on it, you want thicker skin. Otherwise, you're not going to be able to try the damn move over and over. So for me, that suggestion that, oh, maybe thinner skin is better. I, uh, any climber who's climbed repeatedly on small edges will tell you otherwise. Yeah, I agree with you with that. That's, yeah. Uh, Yeah, I agree. They also, I'm going to go ahead and call this a flagrant foul. Um, (laughs) They say, and I'll just quote it here, um, the perceived performance superiority of women when climbing on small edges may be the result of generally softer and thinner skin. Yikes. Or or maybe they're just strong and just badasses. Um, <laughs> maybe we don't have to just say, oh, it's because of their skin. Yeah. You know? And like we said, this is an older study. We've all grown since then. So um, maybe I'll give them a pass on this one flagrant foul. Yeah. Like you said, though, for me, doesn't change a whole lot. Yep. Yeah. It doesn't help me make decisions. But however, you know, the more we can add to our base of just basic science to the sport of rock climbing and to the unique things we do in rock climbing, I think the better. I think still good that this was done. Um, it adds to our base of knowledge or what's been done with climbing testing and science. So I'm glad it was performed. It just doesn't help me make any decisions as a coach. It's a worthwhile study. Yeah, I, I agree. 
good study, well done, results don't change anything for me. Yep. All right. Uh, you can find both Paul and I all over the internet by following the links right there in your show notes. You can find Paul at his gym, Crux Conditioning in Chattanooga, Tennessee. And if you're in that area, you should absolutely visit. Uh, if you have questions, comments, or papers you'd like for us to take a look at, hit us up at community.powercompanyclimbing.com. Don't forget, subscribe to the show, leave us a review. Please, please tell all of your friends who are constantly telling you that you're only good at crimping because of your tiny fingers, that you have the perfect podcast for them. And we will see you next week when we discuss stretching and power loss and whether the fact that you're flexible means that you're never going to be powerful. See you on the other side. It's done. You keep saying that and it's bullshit every time. Always. You know what? I'm done, okay? You and I, we're done. Breaking Beta is brought to you by Power Company Climbing and Crux Conditioning and is a proud member of the Plug Tone Audio Collective. For transcripts, citations, and more, visit powercompanyclimbing.com slash breaking beta. Let's not get lost in the who, what, and whens. The point is, we did our due diligence. Our music, including our theme song, Tumbleweed, is from legendary South Dakota band, Riff Lord. This is it. This is how it ends.
Welcome to Nadia World.